Welcome to the Canva guided meditation for stress at work. Impending deadline? Generate Canva presentations in seconds. So fast. Brainstorm got too big? Summarize with AI in a click. Writer's block? Release with Canva Magic Write. Magical. Stress less and save time at canva.com. Designed for work. At Morgan Stanley, old school hard work meets bold new thinking. At 88 years old, we still see the world with the wonder of new eyes. Helping you discover untapped possibilities and relentlessly working with you to make them real. Old school grit, new world ideas. Morgan Stanley. To learn more, visit morganstanley.com slash why us. Investing involves risk. Morgan Stanley Smith Barney, LLC. My mission is simple, to make you money. I'm here to level the playing field for all investors. There's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise to help you find it. Mad Money starts now. Hey, I'm Kramer. Welcome to Mad Money. Welcome to Kramerica. If you want to make friends, I'm just trying to make you some money. My job is not just to entertain, but to educate, teach, and coach you. So call me at 1-800-743-CBC or tweet me at Jim Kramer. An employment number that's strong, but not too strong, was just what this crazy market needed today. Although it took half the day for Wall Street to figure that out. Dow going down at first, but then eventually finishing up 572 points. S&P gaining 1.95%. NASDAQ advancing 1.55%. It was, it was a, a, a hidden Goldilocks report, let's call it that. A lot more people are getting hired thanks to the vaccine rollout in the opening. Uh, but uh, not so many that the Fed will feel compelled to raise interest rates. And some are really being left behind. Why does that matter? Because the bond market is calling the tune right now. And when the bond market's pleased, meaning Treasury yields are stable as they ended up today, uh, or even go lower, didn't get that, buyers rush into the stock market because they know the competition from bonds will remain benign. A benign bond market serves as an all-clear signal for the stock market bulls. Now, this has been a confusing time for fixed-income investors because the whole narrative on the economy changed practically overnight. We went from a period of stagnation where we were propped up by government spending to the beginning of what could be a potential boom as more people get back and Washington gets ready to throw more fuel on the fire. If the economy is poised to get so much better, why the heck do we need the Federal Reserve to keep giving, giving us easy money? Right? Interesting question. And that is the bond, what we call the bond vigilante's position. They want rate hikes. They think the economy's too hot. I get that. However, Fed Chief Jay Powell insists that he won't tighten anytime soon because so many people are being left out of potential comeback. The inflation is really just nascent and could go back down. And even though he's been very right on the economy so far, the bond vigilantes have decided he's just some dove in a suit who's going to create a tsunami of inflation with his stance. I think they're wrong. I think Jay Powell's right. But I'm not the one who controls the bond market. I keep telling you this moment feels like the period from November 2015 to February 2016, when our old Fed chief, Janet Yellen, looked at the dashboard of the economy, very similar to right now, saw some inflation indicators flashing red like we have right now, and decided it was time to raise rates. Even though she appeased the bond vigilantes and gave a sample warning, the economy was crushed and stocks took a hit. And that's what I fear. I fear a repeat of that time. And I am staying not as a vigilante, but I'm staying vigilant. Powell refuses to be cowed, but the bond bullies, who are very powerful, don't believe it. The Fed's had a zero-tolerance policy toward inflation for my whole career. These guys can't imagine suddenly there's this guy, Powell, who would chart a new course, no matter how many times he explains it. Now, the, the session opened rocky because lots of investors 
bought stocks with borrowed money over the last few weeks. You know, margins uh, nearing a record high here. And they got blown out by this week's decline and a sharp initial move up in rates in reaction to that employment number. But then rates reverse. And we got one of those whoosh bottoms I've been telling you about where we have a sharp decline fueled by forced selling. And then the market swiftly rebounds when that selling is over, if the bonds rally and uh, interest rates fall. And that's what happened. So are we out of the woods? No, that's just one day's worth of a scenario. Not so fast. The battle is far from over with lots more collateral damage, particularly, by the way, I don't know if you noticed, but the highest growth stocks even today and the myriad SPACs, they're still being taken out and shot despite the nice backdrop. Basically, everything that was red hot a month or two ago is not so great. So here's how I see it playing out. Whenever we get good news for the economy, like when the Senate passes a stimulus package or when we get big vaccine benchmarks, the bond vigilantes will come out of the woodwork with the same playbook that you saw early this week. They will dump bonds, pushing long-term interest rates higher and triggering more weakness in the stock market like we saw yesterday. The only thing that will stop the bond bullies is weaker economic data, especially lower commodity prices like oil, copper, lumber, plastic and paper. That hasn't happened yet. But if you got those lower, then the heat's off, pal. But we're not there yet. So expect more of what's happened in the last two days. With the bond stock prism in mind, as cloudy as it is, what's the game plan for next week? It's not as important. All these are not as important as interest rates going higher. But the, you need to know how companies will do in order to be able to figure out which ones you want to buy. Now, you've heard about the highly successful short-busting campaign in GameStop. But did you know that one of the original short-busts was Stitch Fix, the online fashion advisory service? The misguided shorts tried to crush this thing until CEO Katrina Lake turned the tables on them. And that was three months ago. She delivered a spectacular quarter. She's got a great business. You got a huge rally on the backs of the short sellers who had to, buy, had to buy the stock to close out their broken positions. But now almost all the shorts are done. So what happens when Stitch Fix reports still one more good quarter Monday night? Well, even a great quarter won't produce the kind of explosive reaction we had last time. Still, I'm betting the numbers are better than expected because, well, this is a great business. Tuesday morning, we hear from Dick Sporting Goods, and I like the way these non-essential retailers have been trading lately. Seems like there's been a bit of a jailbreak of shoppers headed to the stores. I expect Dick's to deliver a very strong number, one that could send the stock flying. The company has a new CEO, Lauren Hobart. She was on last time the show. I think she'll wow the conference call audience with a good tale of strong sales going to an economy that's about to open up to all sorts of sporting events that have been on hold thanks to the pandemic. Wednesday morning, a little contra. Campbell's suit, their report. I like the management here, but so far, these pantry stocks, they failed to impress. I can't go against the prevailing wisdom here, although I think the company's won over enough of the stay-at-homers with its snack offerings that you won't be that disappointed, and you get the 3.2% yield. But let's just say in the old days, I would say, not working. After the close, we get the results from Oracle. Now, this is exactly the kind of lower-risk tech stock that people suddenly like. They don't like the Dreamer stocks. Uh, they don't like the high flyers. Uh, those are still getting torn to pieces. So I was ready to recommend Oracle when I was putting my game plan together, but I got beaten to the punch. A big brokerage house pushed it today, sent the stock up 6%, stole my thunder. But think about that. And an upgrade, 6%, because it's a lower-risk tech. They don't like high-risk tech. Thursday, we hear from two winners. There's JD.com. That's one of the few Chinese stocks I like because it's, it's another Amazon on China thing. Uh, it's like Alibaba, which, you know, I like. It's got faster growth, though. And then Ulta Beauty, Kramer Fave Cosmetics Retailer. It's about to experience a sales explosion when the country reopens. Ulta pivoted to e-commerce when the pandemic hit. They've got a great app. I use it. But now that we're getting vaccinated, the brick-and-mortar businesses can make a comeback. Plus, they're rolling out a new Target collection. 
I'd be a buyer ahead of that quarter. And then finally, on Friday, we got something uh, for those of you who are on fixed income. I'm talking about ATT with that 7% yield. Enticing? They're holding an analyst meeting Friday, and I bet you'll want to hear how the company can afford to maintain the dividend. But you know what? I wouldn't be a buyer. I think it's never worth the risk to reach for yield in a suboptimal situation. Because if something goes wrong, the losses in your principal, this common stock, outweigh the dividend payments. So why don't we just sit back and listen and see how they're going to solve that balance sheet. So next week's going to be a lighter one, all right? But we're looking for any signs of commodities abating. Remember, we want this, if the oil goes down, the pressure is off, pal. And then interest rates are going to come back down. And then the bond vigilantes will be off our backs and stocks can rally. But on the other hand, if oil prices keep rising and we get more retailers complaining about costs, like we heard from Costco, then get ready for rates to go higher in the stock market. It's going to repeat what happened yesterday, not today. The bottom line. I'm betting the bond boys will be back. So get ready by using rallies like this one to lighten up, as we did for my charitable trust at the end of the day. And certainly lighten up on the high-flying Dreamer stocks and the SPACs. That way you have some cash to deploy for the real companies the next time we get hammered like we did yesterday afternoon. John in Louisiana. John. Jim, as a member of Action Alert Plus, I'm calling about the highly rated cybersecurity company with 90% direct-to-consumer sales. Given the current rotation into value combined with workers returning to the office, I'm wondering how much longer we can continue to hold on to Norton LifeLock. Well, you know, when I was on our conference call yesterday for ActionAlertPlus.com, that's my chapel trust. You you sign up to the club, you get to hear it. Um, I'm getting discouraged. I'm getting discouraged because this thing doesn't seem to want to go higher. But you know what? Every time you get discouraged, you got to stay the course for another quarter if you believe the business is good. And I still believe the business is good. And look, I parted with waste management, and then that thing just went up. And, you know, look, no say. Woulda, shoulda, coulda should not be part of the equation. But thank you for those nice words. Let's go to Brian in Wisconsin, please. Brian. Jim Booyah, home of uh, Wisconsin, home of the uh, Green Bay Booyah Northwoods League baseball team. And they also have the largest Booyah kettle at the stadium. You're going to have to try the Booyah there sometime. Oh, man, let's I thought it was talk- cheese. Little did I know. It was Booyah the whole time. It's a let's Booyah head. Talk- you got to put a Booyah head on. Go ahead. You bet. You bet. Let's talk Intel. Earlier this week, they lost the lawsuit, uh, $2.18 billion judgment against them. Um, on a patent lawsuit, what's that going to mean for Intel? And was today's rally just uh, bargaining? No, uh, no. The, the, the rallies because this guy, Pat Gelsinger, is a real deal. He came from VMware. He used to be at Intel. He's very impressive, very smart, known him for a long time. And people are believing that Intel is going to come roaring back because of him. There are a lot of cultural issues that he has to fix. I don't think it's going to be done overnight. But when you see the stock rally, it's because of a believer in Pat. Not necessarily because they think the stock's going to uh, have a quarter's going to be good. How about Kevin in Texas, please? Kevin. Booyah, Jim from Sugarland. How are you? Sugarland. Wow. Know it. Go ahead. What's up? Oh, I've been seeing a lot of red. That's what's up. Yeah. My portfolio's really down. I know. Call- I know. I'm calling today because of AMD. This is my longest position I've held since May. Okay. This is when I first started buying. All right. I, I'm up in it, but I don't know what to do. Should I take out my cost? Should I buy more? 
Should I all right. move well, it into look, something All I can different? do is tell you what I did today for my travel trust. We've watched this thing go from 94 went down today to 74. We waited 20 points. We pulled the trigger and we bought some for the travel trust because I just don't think it's that big. Yes, I understand that Intel's got a new CEO and that's part of the problem. I understand that there are chip shortages. That's part of the problem. I'm a believer in what Lisa Sue's doing. I'm a believer in the diversification with Xilinx. And I think you have to buy AMD, not sell. I'm partial to it because holy cow, has she made us a lot of money. I'm not giving up. Let's go to Scott in Florida. Scott, Hi, Jim. I'd like your opinion on a beaten down stock. It's Regeneron. And thank you so much for everything you do for us investors. I am confused by the stock of Regeneron. Why? Because Dr. Len Schleifer has done many great things. They've got a lot of terrific medicines. But I do know that ARC Investments, uh, and I follow them, has been a seller of Regeneron, and that tends to get to weigh things down. And I also know that they're, um, while they have a cocktail that is very good therapeutic, they're not making it you know, against COVID. It's not like they're making billions of dollars on it. But to give up on Regeneron here is just nutty. They're too smart and too good. And so is Dr. Yanakopoulos. I would not sell Regeneron at these levels. All right, look. What does Powell need? He needs a decline in commodity prices, particularly oil prices. And then he'll get the green light to maintain the Fed's easy money policies and the stock market could have more days like today. But if these commodity prices head higher, be prepared for more days like yesterday and use rallies like this one to reduce exposure to those high growth plays. They're easy enough to find. They were all down today despite the rally. Oh, man, buddy, tonight, after a wild week for the tech stocks, I'm talking to Kramer Fave Okta. Fresh off our earnings, get a better look at the quarter. Boy, has that been hammered. Where does the company go from here? I've got the exclusive. Then, is Trex built to last? Home renovation surges, people stay at home, but now what's on deck? They don't act that well. And more cloud coverage ahead. Investors are eyeing the reopening trades. But what does that mean for the work-from-home winners? I'm talking to the CEO of another stock that's gotten beaten up, Nutanix, after his first earnings report as CEO. So stay with Kramer. Don't miss a second of Mad Money. Follow at Jim Kramer on Twitter. Have a question? Tweet Kramer. Hashtag Mad Tweets. Send Jim an email to madmoney at cnbc.com or give us a call at 1-800-743-CNBC. Miss something? Head to madmoney.cnbc.com. Resourceful small business owners know how to get value from the purchases they already make for their businesses each month. The Enhanced American Express Business Gold Card is designed to take your business further. It's packed with benefits and features like four times membership rewards points that automatically adapt to your top two eligible spending categories every month on up to $150,000 in purchases per year. So you earn more where your business spends the most. Plus up to $395 in annual statement credits on eligible business purchases at select shipping, food delivery, and retail subscription merchants. And with flexible spending capacity that adapts to your business and access to 24-7 support from a business card specialist, you can continue to run your business with confidence. The Amex Business Gold Card, now smarter and more flexible. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Enrollment required. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash businessgoldcard. Brought to you by Eaton Vance, the symbol of advanced investing. What's inside your ETF? With Parametric Equity Premium Income ETF, you know. Inside, you'll find institutional quality expertise from a specialized team with deep derivatives experience. 
Get to know what's inside PAPI, the symbol of alternative income, at eatonvance.com slash CNBC. Before investing, prospective investors should carefully consider the investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. The current prospectus contains this and other information and is available at eatonvance.com. Read the prospectus carefully before investing. Not FDIC insured. Offer no bank guarantee. May lose value. Not insured by any federal government agency. Not a deposit. Investments involve risk. Principal loss is possible. Distributed by Foresight Fund Services, LLC. Even with the Nasdaq rebounding today, some of the hardest-hit tech stocks got pummeled again. Take Okta, the terrific cybersecurity company that handles identity management. Now, I've been pushing this stock since 2018. Remember, Kramer family fave Okta as it ran from the 50s to an all-time high of 294 just three weeks ago. Then the market turned against the pandemic plays and Okta went into a tailspin with the stock plunging to 216 today. And it's really not a pandemic play, but that's how it's viewed. What makes this even trickier is that there's more to the decline than a rotation. On Wednesday night, Okta reported some stellar results, including a surprise profit. But management paired those numbers with some cautious guidance, forecasting much wider than expected losses for both the current quarter and the full year. And you know that's the kiss of death in this market. At the same time, Okta announced that it's buying a rival cybersecurity outfit. And that's off zero, although the zero looks like a zero, not a spelled out. For $6.5 billion in stock, a high price, considering that Auth Zero's last round of private funding in July valued the company at less than $2 billion. We have to learn about that. But if the guidance is merely conservative and there's a good rationale for the acquisition, hey, maybe you should start buying this one. You don't get this stock very weak very often. So let's go straight to the source with Todd McKinnon. He's the co-founder and CEO of Okta. And Eugenio Pace, he's the co-founder and CEO of Auth Zero. You get a better sense of this deal. Gentlemen, welcome to Mad Money. It's great to be here, Jim. Thanks. All right, Todd, I got to start with something that I think was lost in all the, the commotion here. You had subscription revenue, which you expect to recognize over the next 12 months, which I regard as the most important metric, with a growth of 42%. And you're a, billion, you know, you're a company that does billions of dollars in business. That's astounding. How are you able to do that since it seemed to be getting left out of the conversation? Yeah, we had a we finished a really strong Q4 and a f- great finish to our fiscal year. As you mentioned, subscription revenue for the year was up 43%. Total revenue was over $800 million for the year. So, I mean, we're really excited about the execution of the company. The real reason is because the markets are big. What we're doing, trying to connect every person in the world with every piece of technology they need, whether it's at work or, or whether you're a company trying to connect your employees or a company to your customers, it's a big market. And even in the, you know, the pandemic is a tough time for a lot of companies to do, to do business where we've been able to execute well and, and keep up that stellar performance. All right. Now, Eugenio, I want to ask you, it, people are saying, well, listen, why did they buy the same kind of company? You are not the same kind of company. You are a very different company in the way that you deal with developers. And you have a very different technology that I think dovetails with what Todd had. So can you explain to people why it's not, Todd's just not buying some Me Too company? Because it's not. It does. No, it makes uh, total sense when you look into more detail. We believe in a, in a world that it's run by software. And we believe that every company, it's a software company. And we believe that that software is written by developers. And so anything that will make the life of developers easier, uh, anything that will allow developers to ship more code, you know, more applications, faster, more secure, is going to be valuable. And that's us. That's what we do. 
All right, now, Todd, uh, I'm using, I'm quoting J.P. Morgan. I use their research. Sterling Audie is a skeptical fellow, but I find, I read him, I don't know him, but he's very, very smart. He goes, the results in the quarter are taking backseat to the $6.5 billion now stack acquisition. Investors are trying to better understand the need to acquire a customer identity and, a- and access management vendor when Okta already had offerings. What do we say to Sterling? Well, I think it's important to recognize that our total addressable market is broken up into two parts. There's the workforce identity market, which is 75% of our revenue. That TAM is $30 billion. Then there's customer identity and access management, which is about 25% of our revenue. So it's a business for us getting close to $300 million a year. And that's a $25 billion TAM. But when you look at that $25 billion TAM, there's really two parts of it. There's the kind of the what we do traditionally, which is the more of the pre-built pre-configured solution that's very appealing to a CTO or a CIO um, or a chief security officer. And then there's what Auth0 is doing, which is a a purpose-built from the ground up company focused on developers. And that results in a very different product. It's a product that's much more flexible and extensible and does exactly down to the bit and byte what the developer needs to do. And that's why the two, two solutions together are so compelling. They give customers great choice and great flexibility and great value and really solidify that $25 billion TAM and the customer uh, identity and access management market. Well, Todd, I've always known you. You have built an amazing company. I am concerned that you paid $6.5 billion when that last round was dramatically lower. How do you justify in your own mind and to your board paying so much, given the fact that, that it just, uh, I don't know, a half a year ago was worth less? Yeah, it's a great question. So these, so the two products and the two companies are not only complementary, um, another thing to understand about Auth0 is it's on its own. It's a great, amazing company. What Eugenio and the team there have done has blown me away. And I've known him for eight years and watched the progress. And it's an amazing, amazing company. And this isn't some small startup. This is a company that's scaling. And they're over, at the end of this year, they're going to be over $200 million in ARR. And this is a company that's on a path to go public. And as you know, the you know public markets value companies a certain way. And if you look at how we're valuing it, it's growth accretive to us. Right. So we're at, we actually paid a, a multiple on revenue that's slightly below ours, but in the same ballpark. So when you talk about think about a great company, a complementary company, growth accretive at a similar multiple, it's a win win for everyone. Yep. People have to remember that at that price that Todd's talking about, you're going to be able to see this part of the business go up in value immediately. Uh, you, honey, I've got to ask you several times in uh, in the presentations, you talk about two of our favorite companies, Stripe, which I haven't been able to talk too much on camera because they don't like to talk payments because they're not public. But Twilio, you've compared yourself to Twilio and messaging. And that's Jeff Lawson. And we love him and what he's created. Why is that part of the of the talk? Why do we bring that up? Twilio, Stripe and now this. When we founded the company, I actually had to explain what we did. And I said, we are Twilio for authentication because we loved their go-to-market. We loved the way they they spoke to our audience. We see ourselves as essentially the same thing, the same approach, the same philosophies in terms of appealing to the developer ecosystem. So, yeah, we love Twilio. Yeah, Twilio is great. Okay, Todd, look, uh, SolarWind, this uh, new Microsoft hack. I mean, I never hear anyone involved with Okta being part of this. Uh, Is that because there's only one passport, there's the Okta passport, and it can't be counterfeited? Well, I mean, we're very proud of uh, not only how we make our customers more secure and our security ourselves, 
the cybersecurity landscape is it's a it's a threatening landscape, and we work very hard to, as I said, help our customers be more secure. And this is really important in this world because if you look at solar winds, if you look at what's happened in this breach, what it's made clear is that inside of your own data center or inside of your own office, you can't just assume that everything inside of there is secure. You can't put things behind a firewall. You have to trust nothing. You have to authenticate every user. You have to authenticate every machine. You got to assume the bad guys are everywhere and build your defenses down to the individual uh, computer or hand or mobile device or individual server and be vigilant. And that's what we help customers do. And it's, you know, and one of the things that's great about our approach is we host it, we run it, we do it for them. So we can be ever vigilant and, and they can get back to running their business and not worry so much about running the bits and bytes of the, of the infrastructure. And, and by the way, that is, I've studied this company for a long time. That is not puffery. It's just very different from what you see when you see these companies that are hacked. They are doing some things wrong. It's not all the bad guys' fault. Well, I want to congratulate Todd McKinnon, CEO of Okta, for this merger with uh, Eugenio Pace, and that's of Auth0. And again, I want to emphasize that the company's worth more with this, adi- with this addition, even if the stock says it's worth less. That money's back at Uber. Coming up. The key to some patio profits might be found right in your backyard. Kramer hits the deck with the CEO of Trax when we return. Looking for a rewarding, life-changing opportunity that enhances the lives of children in your community? With almost 50 years of experience, Huntington Learning Center is the nation's leading K-12 tutoring and test prep franchise, dedicated to shaping brighter futures for our students and franchisees. Huntington is the top revenue-producing supplemental education franchise in the U.S., and our proven system is the key to success for you and your students. The Huntington Advantage includes low startup cost, turnkey systems, dedicated support teams, national and local marketing support, and multiple revenue streams to help you build a life-enriching and profitable business. No education experience needed. In today's environment, the need for tutoring has never been greater. When you become part of Huntington Learning Center, you're filling an urgent need in the growing $5 billion supplemental education industry. To learn more, visit HuntingtonFranchise.com. Make a meaningful difference, pursue your dreams of business ownership, and be a positive force in your community. Don't wait. Visit HuntingtonFranchise.com today. All right. Wall Street's so fickle. I mean, it just turned against the pandemic place. And, and suddenly that includes everything connected to housing. I mean, some of these remodeling names are starting to look enticing. Consider Trax, the number one maker of faux wood decking and railing products. Their stuff looks as good as the real thing, and it's way cheaper to maintain. This longtime Kramer Fave has had an incredible run until the COVID winners peaked three weeks ago. Now it's getting no respect. The stock is down 18% from its highs. Doesn't matter that business is booming. Last week, Trex reported a terrific quarter, 40% revenue growth. But the stock got hammered because management basically gave in-line guidance. And more importantly, the market's no longer willing to give anybody the benefit of the doubt if they were doing well during the pandemic. Not only are you getting uh, that for a quarter for free, and it was a great quarter, you're actually getting a 12% discount. So could this be worth a, just buying right here? Let's dig in with Brian Fairbanks. He's the president and CEO of Trex. Learn more about the quarter and what comes next. Mr. Fairbanks, welcome back to Man Money. How are you, sir? Thanks. Great to be here this afternoon. Appreciate it. Okay, so Brian, Wall Street's a little fickle. The fact is that you had so much demand that you had to put up a new factory. Most companies don't have that. So explain how come you have so much demand, even though Wall Street says, wait a second, it's got to run out soon. 
Yeah, we were in a fortunate position coming into the start of the pandemic where we really saw demand continue to explode from where we were last year when we announced that we would be adding additional capacity. We announced that in 2019, started to build that through 2020. Some of that came on in our Nevada facility during the 20 year. And then the larger piece of that started to come on in January of this year in Virginia. We'll continue to build that out through midway of this year. All right. So what do you think has happened? Have we reached a tipping point where people recognize, as you say, your number one competitor is wood, that it's just that wood actually is just not economic versus tracks? Yeah, I think you're, you're spot on in that. People are beginning to really understand what the long term cost of owning a wood deck is going to be. Also, with some of the new products that we've launched over the past couple of years, it's really made it much more affordable for the homeowners to make the Trex decision and have a composite deck at their house. Another thing that we're seeing significant traction on is people wanting to make the green decision. Our decks are made with 95% recycled material, so they're able to have the high performance they're looking for without any trade-offs. All right, so tell us about where that material would have gone if Trex hadn't used it. More often than not, most of that material goes into landfill. So we're proud that we're able to source over 400 million pounds of polyethylene film over the course of a year to go into both our decking and railing profiles. Now, I know you said wood is your uh, number one competitor. We have had AZEC on, uh, Jesse Singh. Is there enough room for, for Trex and AZEC? Sure, there's absolutely plenty of room in the market. Today, wood accounts for about 78% of the overall marketplace. And that's really where the composite industry is going after. There's plenty of room out there at the high end of the market, something that Trex introduced originally when we were founded almost 30 years ago. But as we continue to grow as an organization, going after that largest segment of the marketplace, which is pressure treated, is very important important for us. And we're excited about that opportunity. One of the things I've learned, Brian, uh, when I've discovered this is that I know this is going to sound strange, but wood is not necessarily the most environmentally friendly product to use, correct? Yeah, you're, you're absolutely correct on that. Pressure treated lumber has an awful lot of chemicals that go into it. Uh, it's getting more difficult to be able to manage those chemicals today for the manufacturers, but also on the disposal side. A wood deck is going to last between 10, 15 years at the high end. And then from a disposal perspective, all of those chemicals end up going into the waste stream and then leach out of the lumber over time. Well, to me, that's suboptimal. Now, one thing that you guys are doing, I'm not that handy. My wife is. Do-it-yourself consumers have discovered Trex. Uh, I've always felt that it was pretty complex to use uh, and too heavy. But you've solved some of these problems. Yeah, there's an installed base of 40 million plus wood decks in North America. Most of those decks, they already have a a substructure. And the majority of DIY consumers are able to be able to pull up the deck boards and put down new deck boards along the way. As you get into some of the more complex designs and some of our higher end products, more often than not, those consumers will go with a contractor. So uh, a Trex Transcend at 450, uh, that is for contractor, but maybe a Trex Enhance would be a, a handy person saying, listen, I want to do my own deck. More often than not, our premium products, Trex Select, Trex Transcend, 
are going to be contractor installed. And with the launch of our enhanced product line in 2019, that was really focused on both for the, the contractor, but more so for DIY to make it approachable for those customers who are willing to get hands-on with their own projects. Now, I wanted to ask you, I have a house, I'm lucky enough to have a house at the beach, okay? And I replaced the wood every three years. And then I said, wait a second, there's got to be a better way. So I did treks. Is it not possible that almost everyone who could find out at a beach house that there's such a thing as treks, would they ever continue to every three years do the wood over? Uh, There's still a large piece of the market on education without a doubt from that perspective. So yes, as soon as those customers realize that, wow, I have to continue making all of these investments in my home, or I can make this one investment and have something that will last generally for the life of the home. Um, But also, if I wanted to, I can see this stuff at Home Depot and I see it at Lowe's. So it's not like I have to uh, call a contractor or just use the catalog to find out what the heck I'm, I'm buying. We're in a great position where we have over 6,700 locations where Trex is available to be purchased by contractors and by homeowners. We have positions on the shelf with both of the large DIY centers in the United States and then a significant presence within the pro channel. Well, I think people should recognize that this is not something that goes out of favor with COVID. This is a bargain and people want a bargain that lasts. Brian Fairbanks, president and CEO of Trex. Thank you for coming on the show. Thanks, Jim. This has been a longstanding recommendation of ours. Why? Because it's economic, but also because of ESG. We like what they're doing with landfills, making them so that they're less prevalent because we know they are a scar on the earth. They have money's back there for the break. After announcing an optimistic outlook, could Nutanix become a jewel in the crown of the cloud kings? Kramer's breaking down earnings with the CEO next. We're putting together shopping with some tech stocks that are worth picking at. Look, they keep getting hurt, right? And I think tech, after this little bounce, is going to have more downside. So here's a possible contender. How about Nutanix? That's a cloud software play that helps businesses modernize their data centers by combining all their server management, storage, and virtualization needs into one package. And that means power and cheap. For years, though, this has been a frustrating stock to own. Old management team embarked on seemingly endless series of strategy shifts, made the whole story way too confusing for me. But last August, Nutanix got a major investment from Bain Capital, and late last year, the company brought in a new CEO from VMware, which you know we like to turn things around. The market lapped it up until a few weeks ago, the stock was roaring. But with tech suddenly out of style, Nutanix has now plunged nearly 25% from its recent highs. Even though the company reported a very strong quarter just last Wednesday, it could be worth buying into this week's weakness. Let's check in with the new man. Let's check in with Rajiv. Rama Swamy. He's the new president and CEO of Nutanix. Get a better read on the quarter and the prospects. Mr. Rama Swamy, welcome to Man Money. Oh, thank you, Tim. Glad to be with you here. Okay, so let's cut right to the chase here, uh, Rajiv. Your company is saying that customers don't buy products, they buy solutions. What is the Nutanix solution to the customer's problem? Yeah, look, our customers are are doing a few things as part of their journey. They're all transforming themselves digitally. They are moving to the cloud, and they're figuring out how to enable their distributed and remote workforce. All of these are going to continue as we come out of COVID. They've all accelerated during COVID, and as we come out of it, they're going to continue. We have a cloud platform 
that works for our customers and does exactly these three things. We enable the remote workforce by delivering virtual desktops and remote work. We enable their journey to the, to the cloud and provide this cloud platform to run their modern and existing applications wherever they'd like to run it on. And so we are in the heart of enabling our customers on these journeys, and our customers are looking for this type of a platform solution that will help them with their journey. All right. Now, I think that all sounds terrific, and it's the way I want Nutanix to be. But we've had Nutanix on several times, actually a bunch of times, and I find that there have been some business transitions that have that really kind of confused me, frankly. Uh, that I, some Indeed. of them obviously ill-advised. How do we know that that is past us? That it's rearview mirror. Yes, of course, uh, Jim. Just to give you a history here, yeah, we started out by selling an appliance and then moved to a perpetual software model. Today, we are in the heart of moving to a subscription model. That transition is well underway at this point. All our business has largely shifted to subscription term offerings. What we have yet to experience is the renewals coming out on the other side of that equation. We've been selling mostly new contracts at this point. And as you know, our customers love us, right? We have an NPS score of 90. And so renewals, as they start consuming, should start kicking in as well. So this growth in new business, as well as the renewals kicking in, will drive both continued growth for us and profitability. All right. Well, the, the, diff the other difficult thing, though, and I happen to like the new business. I happen to like subscription business. I like deferred revenue. But a lot of people, even with the best of companies, don't seem to understand that you can't look at, at the deferred revenue uh, in, in a vacuum. But that really is the best sign of how you're doing. Yes. In fact, we've been talking about what our run rate annual contract value is and how that's been growing. Right. And that's a great indicator of future business, because typically the whole beauty of the subscription business is we have certain levels of business that will continue and recur over time. And to that, you continue to add and build new business. So this combination of new and existing business with existing business being very cost efficient to renew is really the key to a, subs a successful subscription business. And that's exactly what we are doing we're not alone. Other companies have done this in the past. Companies like Adobe, many others have gone through this journey. We are in the heart of this, in the middle of this transition. And I think what investors need to appreciate is that coming out of the transition, as we start seeing the renewal business kick in, as we continue our new ACV growth, you're going to see uh, continued growth and profitability. Okay, so you were at, uh, were at a firm, VMware, that we like very, very much. And I speak to, to Pat Gelsier. Congratulations to him, though, because he, I think he can turn around Intel. We have uh, a, a lot of mutual friends. So what I wanted to know is, why would you leave such a great company to go against uh, you know, a company that I think we can pretty much describe as a competitor? Indeed. Look, I'm, uh, I'm excited about uh, Nutanix. I think we've, uh, you know, Deeraj in the past has built this great company, taken us to a billion dollars here, but we are just really getting started. The next innings is all about scaling this to multiple billions. And my experience in terms of scaling businesses is what uh, can help you. And of course, my knowledge of the marketplace helps. Now, if you look at uh, the market opportunity in front of us, these transitions that we talked about are here to stay. The market itself, like we talk about uh, multi-cloud, we talk about uh, remote workforce transformation, digital transformations. The market for just our core offering, hyper-converged infrastructure, is growing at about 16% for the next five years, according to Gartner. And our addressable opportunity is significantly bigger than that as we expand into hybrid and multi-cloud and move further up the stack with offerings such as database management. So as we look at that, I'm excited by the prospect of what can be done here with Nutanix and again, on top of that, as we complete our transition to subscription, 
we have great future ahead of us. And right, that's so, why I'm here. Right, so the great Sanjay Poonin's been co- come on our show many times. And he talks Indeed. about the idea that, look, VMware also has that great relationship with Amazon Web Services, but also is now offering security. Are you guys planning to offer security as part of your package? Because I think everybody is concerned and wants to have that as they go to the cloud. Yeah, Jim, in fact, uh, we have been building in security into our platforms also from day one. We recently announced a, a bunch of new security capabilities because one of the unique value propositions we have is we, we deal with data. We deal with storing, we deal with backing up, we deal with restoring data, disaster recovery, files, objects. So we introduced a bunch of new capabilities recently around, for example, things like the ability to detect and prevent uh, ransomware attacks. Those are just part and parcel of the offering. Well, that's what's needed. And look, it's great to have you. I like, look, I like what you're doing because that's the way to success. And let's hope that just keep, keep staying that way. It's because I know it is the right course that you, course that you are on. That's, that's Rajiv Ravaswamy, and he is the president and CEO of Nutanix. Great to have you on the show, sir. Thank you, Jim. Thank Absolutely. You. Man, money back after the break. Coming up next. Let's make money together. What do we got? Kramer's bringing the thunder and answering your burning questions in today's edition of The Lightning Round. It is time. It's time for The Lightning Round. And then The Lightning Round is over. Are you ready? Skip down to The Lightning Round. Because we're going to start with Mark in Florida. Mark. Hi, Jim. Uh, I'm glad you're back and in good health. You were oh, sorely missed. Thank you. Thank you very much. It's unlikely. I'm good. glad to be back. What's up? Uh, my question's about United Microelectronics. I bought it about 11 weeks ago at 869 and watched it quickly rise to over 11 and now steadily fall. The analysts I've read rated a buy or outperform. Well, I mean, and it I should. I mean, it's got, this is exactly the sweet spot. We need these kinds of integrated circuits. That's in short supply. But then again, it is a company that uh, is kind of a bit of a black box. They don't come on TV, but I, I like your idea. There is a shortage, and they are part of the answer, not the problem. Ellie in Texas. Ellie. Hi, Jim. Ellie. Here's my question. Okay. Given that a number of pipelines are under review by the current administration, what do you think about EPD as a sell or a hold for the next few well, years? EPD is probably the best one. I stopped recommending these because I really feel like that they've hurt so many people. But if you want one that is, good, that is delivered, 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 then Enterprise Product Partners with a 7% yield is probably the best. Let's go to Beanie in New York. Beanie. Hi, Jim. How are you? I am good. How are you? Great job. Uh, I love your show. I have a question about the stock MMP Magellan. All right. Now, this is, another, this is an oil pipeline company, and it is very well run. Uh, and this is run by Mike Mears. Uh, we uh, sold this stock much higher for Action Alerts and have gotten gun shy. Uh, Mike can come on. He's really, really good. But again, I have cooled on this group. I don't think that Kinder Morgan's that bad. But I, and I do like Enterprise. But the whole group has just not been terrific for a long time, frankly. Let's go to Michael in Connecticut. Michael. Hey, Jim. I bought this stock over a year ago after I saw the CEO on your program. And she painted a very optimistic picture of their future growth prospects and trajectory. They do pay an attractive dividend, but the stock has lost 20% of its value since I bought it. Should I continue to hold and hope or eat my losses and move on? 
The stock is GSK. Oh, I was afraid you're going to say that. Glaxo has been a big disappointment, and I felt that with the, I thought that maybe they could do something in uh, in conjunction with another company on vaccine. I really believed in the idea of splitting into the high growth and the not so high growth, and I have just been wrong. Uh, and I'm struggling, but I would say do not sell it with a seven percent yield down here. But I've been wrong, uh, and I have to own that that I got GlaxoSmithKline. It's my job to get it right, not the CEO, and I screwed it up. Um, that's it. That's my last lightning round call. Why? Let's do one more. Let's go to, um, I, you know, let me think of it. I'm like Karnak Magnificent. How about Michael in Washington? Michael. Booyah, Jim. Booyah. Coleman Washington. Go Cougs. All right. That sounds like a good idea. <laughs> Anyways, my, my uh, question is about ticker PLTR. Is it a good buy right now? All right. Now, Palantir has become the most controversial stock in this market. Why? Because... Uh, very good fun. ARC keeps buying the stock. The last quarter was just okay. They are very smart people. But it's become such a battleground that I have to say, next! And that, ladies and gentlemen, is the conclusion of the Lightning Round! The Lightning Round is sponsored by TD Ameritrade. Coming up, if there are clowns to the left of you and jokers to the right... You might be a home gamer wondering what Costco has to do to get some love from the street. Don't get stuck in the middle. Kramer's got the answers next. When the market turns volatile, your fellow shareholders become the enemy. Let me give you an example. Imagine you own the stock of Costco, arguably the world's best retailer. And you're in a room with the rest of the shareholder base, which right now, of course, you can't see. Last night, Costco reported what was widely seen as a mixed quarter, thanks to some supply disruptions, COVID costs. But when you drill down, they delivered some killer 15% sales growth. Every part of the store is on fire, except for the hearing aid part, and the cost issues are temporary. Meanwhile, the stock's pulled back more than 70 bucks from its highs. The future looks bright. Just paid a $10 special dividend. Company's about to open a slew of new stores in the second half, something that always drives profitability because it helps them sell membership cards, of which there's $108 million. So if you're like me, your initial reaction is, hey, buy a small position here, and then buy more if it gets hammered. But then you got to consider your fellow shareholders. Look to your left. Oh, that's someone who borrowed money to buy 1,000 shares at Costco at 350 stock at 317 He needs to put up more capital to keep the position on because he borrowed money. Unfortunately, if he's already hurting from the declines in Tesla or, I don't know, the meme stocks or Palantir, he might not have that capital. This person to your left is your worst nightmare, people, because he doesn't care about the terrific details of the quarter. He just thinks he needs to sell Costco before the margin clerks get him. Now turn to your right. There's a professional money manager. She's got a huge position in Costco because she's been snapping up 10,000 shares every 10 points on the way down, starting at 380. Good discipline, right? Suddenly, though, several of her investors beg her to let them pull their money out of her fund. Maybe because some other managers have crushed them. When you're a hedge fund, that means you've got to meet that redemption. A big position in Costco turns into a terrific source of funds. Sell, 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 sell. If anything, she's just grateful it isn't down more. Now, you see that guy in the corner? Yes, that sitting in the back there? He's tracking his stocks on his iPhone. 
When he looks at Costco, all he sees is a stock with a hideous chart. Instead of buying it, he wants to bet against it. Hey, maybe buy some put options, do some shorting. Again, he doesn't care about the fundamentals. He doesn't even look at them. He wasn't listening to the conference call last night when the great CFO, Rich Colante, laid out how profitable the business is. He only cares about the chart. So he does buy a bunch of puts, and that gets translated into a short sale by the market maker laying off risk. Finally, look behind you at our final fellow shareholder. That man is crying. Why? Because he owns a slew of once-hot tech stocks that have fallen apart. He's got the cloud, the cloud, the cybersecurity, the semis. And along the way, he happened to pick up some Costco at around $100. It's in, it's in 300s. All of his other positions are getting clobbered. But he's still got a triple in Costco. So what does he do? Well, he says, sells his biggest winner because he doesn't want to lose it. He sells his Costco. Notice a pattern. Many of your fellow shareholders couldn't care less about the fundamentals. Costco might as well be some awful five and dime and defunct department store like Litz or Gimbel's where my folks work. Hey, when the market gets turbulent, these people start selling for reasons that have nothing to do with how the company's actually doing. So the fact that Costco's about as cheap as I've ever seen in ages, that doesn't matter at all to these people. I like the stock for the long haul, but right now your fellow shareholders, even on a day like today with the market up huge, they're not your friends. They're your enemy, and they knocked it down. And if you stick with someone like something like Costco, well, they're just going to keep knifing you in the back. So if you can't handle the pain, you need to take something else off the table before they beat you to the punch so you can buy this one and buy more of it if it keeps falling through no fault of its own. You see, it's the weak fellow shareholders who are killing Costco, not Costco itself. I like to say there's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise you I'll find it just for you right here on Mad Money. I'm Jim Cramer. See you next time. The news with Shepard Smith starts now. You might be right. It's simple, but something you almost never hear in politics today, with each side more concerned about scoring political points than solving problems. I'm Bill Haslam, a Republican. And I'm Phil Bredesen, a Democrat. We're former Tennessee governors, and we invite you to listen to our podcast, You Might Be Right. Join us and guests like Al Gore, Paul Ryan, Judy Woodruff, as we take on important issues facing our country. Listen and subscribe to You Might Be Right, a new podcast from the Baker School at the University of Tennessee.